To Butter With That, a movies podcast where some friends from Philadelphia come together to talk about all things movies. Uh, before we get started, I just wanted to give a shout out to our podcast network, the Movie John Podcast Network. Uh, we're so happy to be a part of the Movie John family, and we highly recommend that you check out all the other awesome shows that are a part of the network. But this is Butter With That. This is not any other Movie John podcast show, and I'm joined today by Christine, Dave, and Sam, I uh, hope everybody's doing well. Maybe you folks have seen some new movies or TV shows or old movies or old TV shows. Anything you guys been watching that you want to report out on? My roommates and I started watching the show called Our Flag Means Death on HBO. And it's very good. I love it. We're almost done with it, actually. That's so funny. The other night, I was trying to figure out the next, like, I really want like a new show. And I was totally considering starting to watch it. And instead, <laughs> I'm still going to watch it. But instead, I started watching Prime Suspect, a oh. Helen Mirren, like an early Helen Mirren BBC mystery series where it's like Helen versus the like guys in like the early 1990s London, Scotland Yard environment and she's just like solving mysteries and uh it the first episode is really long it's like two parts of our 40 minute episodes which is a kind of an interesting way to structure things but it's it's a nice throwback a little slow but really atmospheric and like some great early 90s fashions but now i want to check out the new taika watini show (laughs) Nice. Dave, how about you? Checking anything new out? Um, No, I watched what we're discussing this week, which was new to me. And um, afterward, I I decided I needed to watch something I liked a lot. So I discussed uh, with my housemate what we were going to do because we both had different ideas. Uh, We threw into a hat our suggestions, and I believe uh, his were American Psycho and Dallas Buyers Club, which I haven't seen and was looking forward to checking out. But because I heard mixed things, heard the acting's good. Sounds interesting. But again, I haven't seen it. I think I threw in Big Lebowski and it might have been Being John Malkovich. I was just looking for like a comfort, like a nice kind of insane comfort food sort of movie. Uh, we threw them all into a hat and drew American Psycho, which is the one that at the time I least wanted to watch. But returning to it was really interesting. I think it's really cool how the film differs in so many really meaningful and uh I think better ways than the book. Uh, you know, it's a Brett Easton Ellis book who is an author that I was into for a while, but uh, really not so much anymore. Look back on that with a little bit of a, a cringe, but seeing that material handled by uh, a woman screenwriter and a woman director and their input and framing it a different way uh, made it really pretty interesting to watch, which is, is something that I, I knew it was was uh, was directed by Mary Heron, yeah, but was uh, also screen written by a lady. And uh, yeah, those differences uh, in terms of how the material is handled from book to movie uh, makes it so much better, which is than the book. So that was cool. Can I just say the fact that Dallas Buyers Club was in the mix as a comfort movie? A thousand questions. I think he's just excited because I haven't seen it. And like, I, it wasn't suggested as a comfort movie. It was just suggested as a good movie, but. Okay. All right. That makes a little bit more sense. I was genuinely flabbergasted. <laughs> yeah. Under those, under those circumstances, I would probably be like, well, maybe something else, even having not seen this. <laughs> I remember watching Dallas Buyers Club and being like, this is fine. Jared Leto's in that, right? The did your roommate have like, was he inspired by Morbius and picked two Jared Leto featuring movies? I'm not sure, but yeah, that is actually strange. <laughs> Hadn't noticed that. A lot of strange coincidences in the air these uh, Wait, these past is, couple of weeks. Is Jared Leto in American Psycho? Yeah, he's Paul yeah. Allen. Like, is that the guy he works with? Yeah, he's the guy that gets the, uh, the axe oh, to the head. Oh, shit. I don't, I like, wow, did not remember that. Wow. How is Jared Leto in literally everything and how is he still getting cast and things anyhow that may that's a different discussion for another time (laughs) 
I'm sure Jared Leto will one day have his uh, day in court, the court of butter with that one day, perhaps. I haven't been really watching anything too new. Um, deep into season two of Ted Lasso, which is like the empire strikes back to season one's a new hope where everything is kind of sad and bad things are happening. And I don't really know where it's going to go in all a really good way. Season two has, has exceeded my expectations from season one. So I think I have like three episodes left. So probably by this week, I'll wrap that up and then eagerly anticipate season three sometime this year. I think you picked a great time to watch Ted Lasso because you're, you're kind of watching it after all of the Ted Lasso discourse has sort of died down. So I think you can kind of just enjoy it on your own terms. I was watching it like at the height of like, everybody has a fucking opinion about Ted Lasso, like eight to nine months ago. And so good for you, Connor, for sort of like waiting (laughs) to watch it. (laughs) Oh, thanks, Christine. Uh, I can't say I have too many opinions about it or hot takes. Um, I think the hardest thing to decide is who my favorite character is, which I think is a mark of a really good show. One mark of a good show. Just so hard to pick from the wonderful cast. People have very strong opinions about that show. And it's kind of surprising because it's like, you know what? Once again, we'll table it. Jared Leto discussion, Ted Lasso discussion. We will all, we will present that all at the butter panel in a future date. Episode 200 is a butter with that hot take special. It really could be, honestly. I'm ready for it. Episode 200 is not too far away, listeners. Uh, I believe December by the current count. So we are slowly chugging along to episode 200, or I guess moderately pacing along to episode 200, which is kind of hard to believe. But we're not talking about Ted Lasso. We're not talking about Jared Leto. We're not talking about episode 200 today. Today we are diving into a new theme, uh, which we joked about I think at the start of the last theme and then has kind of just evolved into um, an interesting theme for us to pick. And that is movies we've dragged our parents or other loved ones to see. Um, I think this is, I think people can approach this, you know, I think different kinds of movies can intersect here. And for my pick today uh, was a movie I was baited to go into as a child, most likely by marketing. And that is Osmosis Jones, the 2001 um, Farley brother a not classic uh, starring Chris Rock and Bill Murray with live action components, animated components or inside Bill Murray's body. And um, I'm sorry for picking two terrible movies in a row. Uh, I swear I will correct this course listeners and my butter crew <laughs> in the future. Uh, but I am interested to hear your thoughts on this wacky movie and movie that is kind of unique in, um, in its own way. And also has some relevance um, to recent pop culture events because it stars Chris Rock. Uh, There's a connection to Chris Rock, uh, to the famous slap happening next week. I'm not going to spoil what we're talking about. But uh, it's just funny coincidence that I picked a Chris Rock movie and next week's movie features Will Smith uh, well before we decided that before the Oscars moment. Yes, important to establish that we decided on this uh, weeks before the world was inundated by memes. So so be prepared for, as of this recording, this is about a week after the Oscar, so I'm sure we'll be talking a little bit about Chris Rock in that moment if you're listening to this episode in the far future. But before we get started to our deep dives on Osmosis Jones, let me give you a little bit of background. Uh, it was released on August 10th, 2001. Hard to believe this movie is 21 years old. Um, Directed by the Farley Brothers, uh, who did the live action components only. And then the animated components were directed by uh, Pete Croon and Tom Saito, who uh, appears to be kind of like a legendary sort of figure in animation. Uh, Warner Brothers had trouble getting the live action pieces together, uh, with the animation progressing smoothly. And it sounds like the animation was mostly done. Um, or at least the broad strokes of it were done by the time the directors were cast, the Farley brothers were cast, uh, were hired, Bill Murray and the live action crew was hired and they began filming. So for a movie that pretty um, heavily interweaves the animated components and the live action components, the two totally different approaches, or at least attempts to, uh, two totally different times that they were kind of making these two parts of the film. Uh, it was written by Mark Hyman, uh, who seems to be like a professional screenplay doctor. Uh, doesn't really have any much 
only a few credits of his own. Uh, the big one being that he helped develop Meet the Fockers, the uh, sequel to Meet the Parents, which shockingly, according to Wikipedia, was the highest grossing comedy film of all time when it, after it premiered in 2005, which is like an insane sentence I had to write down and I just had to share it with everybody. Yeah, damn. Osmosis Jones stars Chris Rock as Ozzy Osmosis Jones. Uh, Will Smith was actually interested in the role, uh, but there was a scheduling conflict that prevented him from joining the film. Uh, Bill Murray uh, plays Frank, who's the body that we're inside of. Uh, David High Pierce voices Drix, who's a cold pill trying to help Osmosis Jones. Uh, Lawrence Fishburne as the villainous virus, Thrax. And there are many other notable folks here as well, like William Shatner, Molly Shannon, Brandy. So this has uh, quite the cast for this animated film. And this also comes from Warner Brothers Animated Features, which also made uh, The Iron Giant, a film that we talked about, Osmosis Jones third in sort of these Warner Brothers animation movies. So interesting places in the Warner Brothers kind of animated cinematic feature lineup. It kind of tanked the, the that department, didn't it? Like it's since been rebranded under some other name. It did. The Warner, I think the Warner Brothers Animation Group, which handles the Lego yeah. movies most famously. Um, and that's a great segue, Dave, to my next point. This movie had a budget of $70 million, and it only made $13.5 million <laughs> at the global box office. This is the definition of a flop. <laughs> and I can't imagine what they would have spent on marketing on it as well. Probably well more, uh, way, way more than double. So this movie failed hard, and it opened at number seven on the opening weekend. Connor, how does it feel to know that your family contributed to that 13 point, whatever it was? <laughs> you know, it feels pretty good. So I guess this is the time to get into the theme. So I texted my mom, what movies did I, you know, any movies I dragged you to see? 30 seconds, she texted me back, Osmosis Jones. Uh, and I totally forgot that this movie <laughs> existed in some ways, but in other ways, as um, my wife and I were watching it, we were like, oh, I you know, remember the scene. So it was interesting of how nostalgia kind of crept back in as we were watching it. Overall, this film seems to have mixed reviews, some positive, Roger Ebert giving it three out of four stars. So it was kind of interesting to see. Generally, people seem pretty okay with it to just not liking it at all. Um, so the kind of reviews running the gambit. General critical consensus is that people like the animated parts would be pretty cool and quote unquote zippy. Uh, with the live action scenes and gross out humor really dragging the movie down. And even though Osmosis Jones was a failure at the box office, uh, I believe in 2004, a TV show spinoff premiered on WB Kids uh, that ran for two seasons. And I kind of remember liking that show. So Osmosis Jones had a little bit of a moment in the early 2000s before being totally and utterly forgotten. Until today, on Butter With That, where we are resurrecting this movie that I dragged my mom to see, Butter Crew. Has anybody uh, seen Osmosis Jones before, or was this, Dave, you mentioned it was your first time seeing it, but Sam or Christine, have you seen Osmosis Jones before? It's my first time. I could have sworn I've seen it, because the scene in which Bill Murray pops a zit with his forehead is forever seared in my brain and like it exploding onto Molly Shannon. And so I'm like, I've definitely seen this, but a lot of, a lot of it as I was rewatching it was new to me. And so I've maybe blocked it out of my brain and I'm now revisiting it. Or maybe indeed I had only seen parts of the movie. I feel like it was one of those movies that was on like Nickelodeon or Cartoon Network a lot. So I feel like I also caught like bits and pieces over the years, but this was my first time sitting down to fully revisit it, probably since seeing it in theaters in 2001. Yeah, I should add, it's kind of the same for me. I have seen bits and pieces of this uh, for a long time, but uh, sitting into sitting down to really have it command my attention was a different task altogether. I went into this movie trying to be optimistic, hopeful, uh, assuming that it was going to be bad, but interested to see, you know, since this movie deals with a virus trying to kill somebody, I wonder if maybe in the post-COVID world or you know, in COVID world, if this movie kind of hit or felt a little differently. And I think it just only made it worse. 
I feel like noticing body fluids just flying everywhere in this movie, which I don't think I ever would have thought about before, but we can get into that later, but kind of butter gang initial, you know, kind of thoughts on watching osmosis Jones. I mean, I definitely didn't hate it as much as I thought I would. Uh, I thought as Connor, you mentioned, I, I think I kind of agree with the general critical consensus. I thought the animation aspect was pretty fun. I really liked some of the characterizations. Like I thought the character of Drix was wonderful. And I liked the like uh, dynamic between Drix and Osmosis Jones. I would say, I think there was sort of an unfortunate overarching theme of like equating city crime stereotypes and movie tropes with infection overtaking the body was like real rough and couldn't really enjoy the movie a lot because of those characterizations. But I think there were other parts that I found quite fun and it felt like a movie that was sort of like magic school bus meets inside out. And I think the movie that the aspects of what everyone really liked about Inside Out was like, oh, these are characters that like are exploring the brain and it like sort of emotional dynamics. But there was elements of that in Osmosis Jones. And I, I, I found that kind of fun. And the like learning about the body elements that you have in Magic School Bus. So I felt like there were moments where I was a kid again being like, oh, this is a fun way to explain, you know what white blood cells do obviously in probably really obviously oversimplified ways and probably some wrong explanations of the way the body functions. But I felt myself back in kind of a kid brain being like, this is fun. All that said, the Bill Murray and his, no, you would have never thought that it was Bill Murray and his daughter. That whole dynamic was just so bizarre and really didn't work for me. But those are my thoughts. I'm glad you brought up Inside Out because I was also thinking about Inside Out while watching Osmosis Jones. It's like, oh, it's like Pete Doctor who directed Inside Out, like took the curtain, you know, not directly, but like the, this kernel of Osmosis Jones that I think has a really creative element to it and then flesh it out in like a really beautiful Pixar way that's like grounded with characters and like emotional stakes, which are not right, yeah. really <laughs> present in Osmosis Jones. So that's my mind was also going to Inside Out as well. Uh, Dave and Sam, thoughts on Osmosis Jones? This is a tough one. It makes so much more sense when you discover that, and, and especially when I started the movie, the, 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 during the title sequence, the opening credits, finding out that it's a, a Fairly Brothers movie, my mind immediately asks, like, wait a minute, who handed the Fairly Brothers keys to make a kid's movie? Because if you're familiar with their work, it's like, you know, you have Dumb and Dumber, which I really like. Actually, I really like several of their movies, but they are like, you get Dumb and Dumber, then you get There's Something About Mary, which is a very crass comedy. You get uh, Shallow Howl, you get Me, Myself, and Irene. All these are sort of like aggressively like gross out bodily kind of like slapstick comedies of the 90s. So knowing that they had a hand in the live action sequences makes a lot of sense. But like, I keep seeing it compared to like Who Framed Roger Rabbit, where it's like, oh my gosh, look at this like graceful merger of like these two very disparate mediums of uh, live action and animation. But they are kept like exclusively apart. <laughs> and it does feel like they're two different movies, which makes sense that two different directing teams worked on them because obviously there should have been some unifying directorial vision there, but there wasn't, which explains why it's so disparate, not only in style, but in tone and everything else. The gross out stuff is, uh, even as a Fairly Brothers fan, insufferable and really, really heightened in this movie. <laughs> and uh would also say that I, I don't think as far as the world that it builds inside of Frank, uh, it, it handles that as a world pretty interestingly. But the story is uh, such a familiar trope laden like genre convention of like a buddy cop scenario fighting like uh, municipal corruption that like. It doesn't feel like this movie did anything original in, in that regard for me, as, a, as far as the storyline was concerned, albeit set inside a disgusting human being. Uh, Dave, I think I have to agree with pretty much everything that you said. I wish that this movie took creativity with the screenwriting that it does with some of the visuals and like the, the jokes about the body and like how this world is built, because it is just trope after trope after trope that I think just really... Uh, hampers me from like engaging with these characters because they're so beholden to these uh, just very bare bones kind of, you know, tropes. 
and even outside of like how they how they reflect those tropes, like their characterization as far as like cells isn't that interesting beyond like them making body puns. So it doesn't even approach the trope in a way that's appropriate to the world beyond making jokes about the body. This feels very half-assed, I guess. <laughs> always swings for the, um, yeah, always going for the lowest hanging fruit. Sam, your favorite actor of all time, Bill Murray, isn't features prominently in this movie. So I'm sure you loved it, right? Oh, ha ha. I hated every single second of this film. <laughs> um, you know that when cats get spooked and the their back goes up and their hair poofs, that was me the whole movie. Everything, just defensively trying to make yourself look bigger. <laughs> yeah. Everything about it set my skin like crawling. My roommate literally gagged when uh, Bill Murray eats the, the egg. <laughs> she gagged. Oh, God. And the animation style, I hate it. I know um, last week I talked about parts of American Beauty activating my flight or fight. Uh-uh, I take it back. This did. All the colors that they used are colors that just set me off. So there's stuff that was intentional that really just skeeved me out and then just unintentional. I fucking hate this. And you know, it. I I remember being a kid when this was coming out and being like, I don't want to see that. Because even back then, I was grossed out. You know, back in the day, I can't really remember exactly what drew me to this movie, but I'm assuming the marketing um, is what drew me in and the bright colors and the animation. And I love the Iron Giant. So I wonder if that like maybe played a part in it too. Uh, if I was like from the studio that brought you the Iron Giant. So maybe that hooked me into perhaps. It's also funny, too, because they skipped out on uh, making another film by the guy that brought us the Iron Giant to make this. Uh, Brad Bird has been burned many times in Hollywood. and uh, He's an absolute treasure. So it seems like I'm glad he's had quite a few really good projects under his belt the past couple of years. Well, quite an interesting take uh, for Osmosis Jones. And I think we've covered a lot of these you know, kind of ideas and topics I've been wanting to get into. But the first question that I wanted to open up, and I think that this will lead us down quite a few different avenues, is who is this movie for? Because as I was watching it, I was like, this is so gross. Like an adult can't, like, I just can't sit here and take it anymore. But the jokes are like very sexual. And like, I think would just go over a lot of kids heads and it's just such low hanging fruit that I don't even think little kids would find a lot of it funny. So I just want to put that question to everybody. What do you like, who do you feel like the target audience of this movie is for? Was it trying to like be like so broad? And that's one reason why it kind of doesn't work because the original plan was to have it be PG 13 but at, you know, before release, Warner Brothers themselves re-edited the film to be a PG rating uh, to appeal to kids more. So it does feel like, Dave, as you brought up with the Fairley Brothers, there's like trying to push the boundaries of that gross out humor, but the studio reining it in. So it just feels like there's a lot of conflict in this movie creatively. And so thoughts on who is this movie for? Or what's it trying to accomplish? Or who's it trying to reach? I feel like preteens or like young people being thrust into puberty. I think that's when these jokes are funny and gross out humor is really, really funny. I will say that there was one part that I like, I chuckled at. Um, and it, it was so stupid, but it, it goes to the point of like, it would go over a kid's head and I can see like a, a parent being like, oh, I can't believe that. But it was like a sculpture of a sperm and it was like uh, our founder. <laughs> I hate that I laugh. That's kind of a good gag, yeah. <laughs> I think in some ways that's what makes like a bad movie worse is when there are those bright spots or those interesting moments that you're like, oh, you had these good ideas. You had these five good ideas, but just kind of let them go to waste. And I can like, I think appreciate the like, these, this, these jokes hitting someone who's like 11, 12, 13, 14, but it's not a movie about puberty, which feels like the kind of easy go-to direction for this. Instead, it's about a gross old man who's slowly killing himself and his daughter who's like trying to save him, I guess. That's the thing. We also don't, in the live action world, I had no idea what it was trying to say. I mean, at least in the animation storyline, you know, it's you got Osmosis Jones just doing his job, you know, he's out on the beat just, trying to save the day, whatever. All right. Standard. Yeah. As 
Dave said, like cop storyline, but like the, the live action narrative arc is so bizarre. You obviously have to have Bill Murray getting sick to explain what's going on inside his body and the narrative that's going on in there. But like, ultimately it's just by the end, which we'll, I'm sure we'll talk about the fact that all Bill Murray needed was one white blood cell to return back into his body. And suddenly he's totally fine. The doctors don't have to do jack shit to save him is so bizarre. And then is it like his daughter is like trying to get him to like, take care of his body or something. It's it like, is such a weird story. And like, you don't, I, I have no idea what I was supposed to think by the time the movie closed. All I'll say is that I think that a lot of the questions going on in the live action narrative are unresolved and also make, you know, who this movie was made for a bigger, bigger question as well. I sort of feel like it's relatively straightforward. I think it's a very of era animated children's film. I think it is chiefly for children, but one that has like a sort of um, irreverence that can uh, draw adults in and, you know, make it worth, if not paying attention to, then taking their kids to because it has these little nuggets of like referential things. Like, you know, the Godfather joke isn't in there for the kids. The uh, presence of Bill Murray doesn't really pay off for, I don't think, you know, most children in like 2001, that's probably something in there for, you know, to hold the adults attention. The problem being though, that it's so gross and so, so cheeky and like half-assed and it's like referential stuff that as far as adults, it probably didn't work. But even as a movie that tries to do that for kids, like to also be engaging for children, it's entirely based around like tropes of like R-rated action movies that these kids probably aren't familiar with. So like, it's not going to engage them either. Like, I think it tried to engage both audiences and kind of fails on both fronts. And it kind of make, falls into line with a lot of the like kids entertainment that was coming out in that era as far as like being irreverent uh, at the, a the Annie's, an animation award ceremony that's held each year. Uh, Shrek beat this movie by a landslide, rightfully so. But if you go back and watch Shrek, it's also pretty disgusting and a lot of it's like very, uh, very innuendo layered adult humor. So I don't think this movie's all that out of sync with its time. I think it was just this pretty standard kids movie that tried to appease adults as well and didn't do a good job on either front. I think this movie was made for bio teachers that were like, fuck today. I don't want to teach. I'm putting on this movie. It's the day before a break. <laughs> Everyone's going to watch Hustlers Jones, learn about the body, and then we're out. Like, that's totally what I would have done. And I'm that, sure teachers across America. That might be exactly America, the market, actually, yeah. <laughs> that is the, what, $13.5 million that it made was all <laughs> bio teachers being like, let's let's check out this movie. Let's see if I can put this in uh, in my emergency VHS collection for when I really need a day off, which hell yeah, bio teachers, everyone's, everyone needs their pop in a movie and chill out day. Bio teachers and Connor's family. Let's not forget. Connor's <laughs> right, right, family. right, 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 right. We were there perhaps on opening weekend to support Osmosis Jones with all the teachers there in a row. But like, you can't learn about the body without being gross. I mean, have you guys seen the, Magic School Bus episode where they go into What's-His-Face's stomach. And that was a fucking nasty episode where what would, it's like, I don't, I, uh, I feel bad. He had that catchphrase. It was like, I feel weird about this or whatever. And they finally went into his body and he was like vomiting all over the place and having stomach issues. So I, the, the gross out is kind of par for the course if you're having like an animated, somewhat educational storyline about the interworkings of the body. Although it is so gastro, like so gastrointestinal and so mucus based, like there's not really anything about like circulation or like the respiratory system, really. It's all just kind of like, here's Frank's disgusting bowels as he eats a disgusting egg. And here's like his nose full of all this snot. So it doesn't really have much educational value in that regard. Um and everything inside this body is de designed visually like a sphincter. It's really weird and gross. 
the entrance to a zit, a sphincter. Yeah. The entrance to like the, well, I guess the epiglottis is somewhat of a sphincter. You know what? There are just <laughs> tons of fucking sphincters in the body. Not There's just a the lot of them in one. there, but like, you know, you're building a world where you're visualizing this as a city. Not everything has to look like an asshole in this world. It's true. Or like a, like a toxic waste bubbling, like toxic Avenger-esque bubbling swamp. Dave, you oh just took God. me out. I can't take it. Not everything <laughs> has to look like an asshole. <laughs> I need that on a t-shirt. Add that one to the butter merch page. <laughs> oh, God. <laughs> ah, man, all really good points that everybody's bringing up. And I think it's like, there's so many clever directions this movie could have gone in, but Dave, you're right. You know, it just does focus on like the bowels and farts, lots of mucus. And it's just kind of like, it just feels so just unclever. Like the one pass of this is like, oh, we're making an animated world of the body. Like there's so many really cool possibilities. And like watching, I was like, oh, wouldn't it be interesting if like, okay, white blood cells are cops. What about like the brain cells? Is there like a class system? Like there's probably some like really cool elements you could have put in. Instead, everybody is either like a gross germ, a gangster germ, a virus, or a white blood cell kind of seems. It's, it's just a very uncreative world for the potential that it has. I really thought, yeah, I totally agree, Connor. I think there were some beginnings of good ideas that just were not developed and therefore just a flattened universe. But the character of Drix as like the sort of aspirin-y character was such a, I, I thought that was actually a really wonderfully fleshed out characterization because he goes in he kind of is like i'm here to save the day i'm an over-the-counter aspirin that's just gonna freeze everything in sight and reduce swelling and just that and he's like you know ivy league educated and created in a lab and the way that he plays off of the other characters in the universe i thought was kind of clever because like you think about it and you're like all right i'm taking an aspirin it's it's gonna find its way to the thing that needs to be taken care of right how the fuck does aspirin work i don't know or whatever the actual medication that's trying to be but like i just like this idea that it, it's like, I, I, I can resolve everything and I'm sort of this catch-all character that's going to be the hero, but really it's, it's more complicated than that. And the, you know, the body is a very multifaceted entity and the character of Drix can't resolve everything. And he's kind of stupid, which I don't know. I, I kind of chuckled in all of his lines. And then when he's trying to maneuver in the, uh, in the dance club with some fun, like, body humor, not body humor, but uh, some good sort of gag, like him dancing was a nice little visual gag and stuff like that. So anyhow, David Hyde Pierce as Drick's best part of the movie. Uh, I read why they casted him, and that's because he was the whitest person they could find. Is that true? Oh my God. <laughs> that's what the um, creative team said. I think it was a producer who said that. Oh, shit. That makes a lot of sense. I mean, uh, like... Niles or Frazier. Yeah, right. Exactly. Yeah. Could have been an interesting opportunity to like teach children about medication. But at the end of the movie, you just find out that because he's such a good partner to Oz, he just stays in the body, which is like not a pill you should take. (laughs) But then they become friends. (laughs) It's perfect. There's so many elements of this film that I think it tries to set up. And maybe I should kind of like lay the groundwork for what is Osmosis Jones. I realized I didn't do kind of like a plot breakdown at the beginning uh, to kind of set up who these characters are in case I'm you're sure unfamiliar. everyone's figured it out by now, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and so basically Bill Murray eats a poop covered, monkey poop covered egg because he's a disgusting person. And he gets a virus in him that pretends to be a common cold to actually kill him. We'll talk about Thrax soon, I'm sure. Uh, and so he takes a cold pill that is you know, Drix, Drix and all, I think is the pill's name. And so he has to team up with Ozzy. Drix is the cold, played by the rules cop. And Ozzy is the born on the streets, went to high school at uh, a crack school, the butt crack school, uh, as he as he calls it, right in the middle of the crack. And so we kind of get this set up for this classic dynamic duo vibe that we've seen. But I just don't think there's a lot of characterization for them. And I think Christine, all those points you bring up, I think are a lot of potential, but for me, the writing just kind of really let that down. 
Like, I think the scenes that we get between Drix and Ozzy just kind of feel so formulaic that the moments where Drix is kind of his own character, um, I think are just too few and far between. There's even a little exchange where it's, uh, hey, don't touch, uh, don't touch my stereo when they're driving. It's a, it's a, yeah, rush hour already came out. That's exactly rush hour. I was convinced that because I had to look this up and I don't think anything in this movie suggests that Thrax is supposed to be scabies. Is that right? Some like bacterial infection. I thought Thrax was supposed to be anthrax, which is going to kill you. I did a lot of research about anthrax after watching Power of the Dog. <laughs> I was like, oh, this is this is something I did not. I have my other associations with anthrax as like white powder, but like there's a whole like organic biomatter, you know, whatever origin of anthrax. But but am I wrong? I don't know. The internet told me Osmosis Jones is about scabies, but I don't know. Fuck if I know. For my research, it, it seems like he's just, he's a virus and they don't go into any further detail than that. I'm currently looking at the warnerbrothers.fandom.com slash wiki slash Thrax page. And it's very long. I'm sure there's probably a name for whatever this is, but uh, oh, shit. I don't really scabies care. Scabies is mice, so it's definitely not scabies. <laughs> Dave, I think that was the worst sentence you ever said. The URL for a Thrax <laughs> fandom page. It's up there. It's up there. So let's just talk about the main villain, the antagonist, who's trying to kill our beloved Bill Murray, Frank. Uh, Thrax, voiced by uh, Lawrence Fishburne. I actually think Thrax has um, quite the potential to be like a, a pretty cool villain. Uh, I think one of the strong parts of this movie is like the first 10 minutes. I think it has a pretty interesting setup, eating the monkey poop egg, <laughs> hard boiled egg aside. I think the idea of like, you know, Chris Rock is a white blood cell police officer. He's been demoted, which also is like a, like immigration, like roundup kind of vibe I was getting <laughs> of like, oh, these illegal immigrant germs are coming into the body. So we have to round them up and imprison them or kill them. So I don't know if that was like intentional, but that was a vibe that I was kind of picking up. Well, that's perhaps because they're all coded with a certain accent, yeah. which is bad. Yeah, it, it pervades the movie, which... Those were the moments where I was like, this is, I mean, this is an unfortunate element and trope in like cop movies and movie like, and yeah, it was just like, this is problematic and dated and an unfortunately inherently embedded aspect to a lot of the movies that this movie film is ripping off. And yeah, yeah. Yeah. It's like, why these are germs. Why is this training day? <laughs> <laughs> and I really thought that the movie was going to take a direction of everybody needs to work together. The whole body needs to work in unison to fight this virus. Like that kind of felt like the direction it was going to go. And like, that's just me searching for the Pixar anchor, like emotional anchor of like, what is the like emotional weight that this movie's kind of, you know, tying itself to. And there really isn't any, because there's like, I think an interesting idea that a virus kind of operates independently of like life. I mean, there's debate, of course, if viruses are living organisms, but they're this other kind of organism that can invade cells and replicate. And so like viruses are like an insanely cool, like villainous concept. And I think this movie just like has this cool kind of villain who can like set things on fire with his magic finger. So that's about it. <laughs> Therein, again, lies part of the problem is this movie invests so much of its energy as far as the virus plot and, like, the import of what's actually going on in Frank's body to a very formulaic narrative. And it 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 demands that we invest all our sentimentality in the live-action parts where we're seeing the daughter, Shane, try to help Frank. But the problem is all of those scenes are fucking disgusting, so, like, it doesn't work. Yeah, there's, in my opinion, zero emotional investment in the live action components. It's so like Bill Murray's so disgusting that you can't relate to him. And his daughter is so like, come on, dad, come to the hike with me. Come, you no, know, stop eating that garbage food. Mom, mom died from eating bad. Do you want to oh die like God, mom? Yeah, that whole bit. Jesus Christ. It's like, I, I appreciate Shane as a fictional person, but it's like, there's no depth to that character at all, unfortunately. And so there's just the whole like, where's where's that that magic movie sauce to like make you care about characters and invest in plots? 
Alyssa said that I've watched plenty of 90 minute movies where I'm really invested in the characters and, you know, feeling strong emotions at the end. And Osmosis Jones has maybe 1% of that like emotional investment that a good movie would have. And I think that's, I think that's like a Bill Murray presence. I, I love Bill Murray, some Bill Murray movies. And I also hate some Bill Murray movies, but it's like, He's got to, he's not really willing to give movies what they need unless they're essentially written for him or their Mm -hmm. tone is a tone that he can fit into. And this is a movie that maybe he recognized that this movie was going to be a flop and he didn't give a shit. So he gave the classic Bill Murray energy. But I could imagine that maybe in the hands of another actor, there could be some element of like care or there, there, there could be some element that makes the viewer care about the person that's going through this part of me says the writing still sucks, but I think that there's a world in which a non Bill Murray performer could have infused this with something else that it might've needed to be. Okay. I hate to say it. Cause I do think Bill Murray is a much better actor and I'm not a crazy Bill Murray fan, but that's, this will explain itself as I reveal. You give me Kevin James in this role? That probably would have been pretty good. Yeah, actually, I think that's a, yeah. Why not? Why not? I think big energy is what this movie needed, like larger than life. Just somebody who's not over it. Like Bill Murray is constantly over it. And unless mm-hmm. you need a two, it, like unless you've written a script where that is a very central, like feeling uh, that the script, is wanting then like this role calls and Kevin James is the kind of performer that at least is going to like be in the scene and give it some like energy. <laughs> he'll be, yeah, I'll be a character instead of just, you know, Bill Murray, Bill Murraying again in a movie he doesn't care about. And I think it's so hard to relate to him as a father. We're like, it's just such a bizarre choice. Cause you would feel like a, the, I mean, what inside out did, it takes place in a little girl. Like that's, you know, it's take place in Riley's body. This is like, maybe if Shane was like going to college or like she was already like out of the home. And like, if this was maybe a movie about grief, like his wife died. And so he's trying to learn the left. Like, I feel like this movie just needed to be a little more heavy handed with themes. <laughs> and like, very just is that, I mean, it worked like Groundhog Day and that character that Bill Murray plays works um, really well, but it's just that character doesn't work in this movie, unfortunately. And that's the anchor of Osmosis Jones. You got to care about the body, like the movie structured that way of who you're inside of. That's kind of the question of what this movie is trying to do. Like it's, it seems as though it's trying to be instructive to children to not only learn about, you know, biology, but also to be aware of uh, how it could impact their families, I guess, is what it's going for from a, a childhood perspective. I don't know. Uh, I don't know. <laughs> Yeah, I think I'm just sort of just left speechless (laughs) about what it's trying to accomplish. And if you're going to do that, don't make it so damn gross. (laughs) I think we should talk about one of the grossest scenes, and that's the pea soup vomit throw up scene. Poor, poor Molly. (laughs) Kind of the main plot thrust of this movie is that Shane wants Bill Murray, her dad, to go on this father daughter hike, but he can't go on this hike because her teacher, played by Molly Shannon, has a restraining order against him because at the science fair, he vomited enormously on her and it made local news with national news calling her daughter Shirley by the name Hurley. And so her family was bullied so much that her daughter had to transfer schools and she got a restraining order on Bill Murray. But Bill Murray doesn't want to tell Shane this, so he has to come up with all these convoluted reasons not to go on this fairly simple hike. And it's just... The pea soup vomit is just so gross. It's just, I just like, where's, why does the movie need all this? It's trying so hard to like have Bill Murray figure out how not to go on this hike when that's like, we want to see what's happening in the body and fighting the virus. It's like just trying to pull too much. I think you explaining the backstory between Bill Murray's character and Molly Shannon's character was 10 times more entertaining than it actually unfolding before our eyes in the film. <laughs> because what a plot, what a plot to put together. It's it's like an admirably random way of like creating conflict in a movie. <laughs> 
but you you delivering it was way more exciting than anything that happens in this movie. I just yeah, I mean there's there's nothing more to be said. I like it's nasty. You think you are about to gag after he eats the poop covered egg, but then we have to watch him eat a dirty oyster. Oh, gross. And the kid at the science fair who made it is like they basically say he's like mentally like he's disabled in some way or like mentally challenged. And they're just going to get like, it's just a, it's like, ooh, 2001, feeling a little icky in some ways. I this mean, is that's a very, a, Fairly Brothers joke. Exactly. It, it, I was it saying that. bodily mm-hmm. grossness and also uh, taking pot shots at uh, people that don't deserve to be taking like, pot shots at. Uh, yeah, that's early 2000s Fairly Brothers offensive humor. Although Dumb and Dumber's great. <laughs> Uh, I think when we were talking about the idea that this movie, well, I think just along the general theme of this movie makes no sense, especially in the live action world. The movie makes sense in the animated world because we can at least follow this general plot of invasive virus needing to be squelched. The The eyelash scene. Can we talk about, okay, Already the live action scenes make no sense are jarringly like or or tonally and like like emotionally dissonant and make no sense. And then you get the daughter on this bus headed to the hiking trip and she's just like chatting with her friends. And then her friend is like handing her fake eyelashes and you're like, where is this going? And then somehow Bill Murray gets into a car accident and then the daughter leaves the bus in full makeup. And you're like, wait, did I miss a scene? Like was, why is she, her face covered in makeup and how is this pivotal to the movie? And then you realize that what Thrax wants to infect the daughter too. So he like launches himself out of Bill Murray's mouth in the hospital into the daughter's eye. And then only because her fake eyelash is on there, the Thrax is like vanquished. And you're like, oh, that's why she's covered in makeup. But like, what? I think that's another example of like the whole plot line with the Bill Murray having to fake an excuse not to go on the hike because of the vomit backstory. It makes that little sense but in the case of a fake eye, I like I it's bizarre. I couldn't believe what I was watching. Yeah, the whole idea is that, yeah, once they're launched into the eye, they're fighting in her eye, which is like my mind just uh I know Sam, you haven't finished it yet, but it, my mind goes right to end of Evangelion, the like rip scene with Eva unit two. No spoilers for yeah, no one who hasn't watched it is gonna know what the hell I'm talking which about. Which looks infinitely but, cooler than what's going oh on. Oh my god. And- <laughs> um But also, yeah, like it's, you know, it's this whole contrivance so that like they can battle on this fake eyelash and uh, Osmosis Jones because he can like split his body because he's like a cell and like uses membrane to like create like gaps in himself, uh, creates a hole within himself through which uh, Thrax punches and gets stuck to this fake eyelash, which then falls in alcohol solution, which dissolves him as a virus, which makes sense enough, I guess. But the thing, and this is what really drove me nuts, people comparing this to Who Framed Roger Rabbit or even like Space Jam, like this notion that like it's this graceful merger of like animation and live action and it really brings the two worlds together. It absolutely doesn't at any point. The closest it gets to is in this scene where we see uh, the animation of um, of uh, Ozzy and Thrax fighting on this eyelash, but then the eyelash and the human eye are like this like Toy Story level like playstation one cgi so it's like it doesn't it introduces a third style that looks really bad as the bridging of the gaps between these two disparate styles which makes it even worse i mean only other times in the movie where you see both live action and animation in the same frame is somehow like his brain cells can like have a eye cam of like what's going on outside which is bizarre as if they're watching like a giant screen of what's going on and 
to your point, Dave, that is also not a graceful merging of these two worlds. It's like, oh, you had animation and then you're tacking on live action like scenes that are going on as, as these cells are watching what happens on the outside, which does not look good at all. It just, you know, not to make it too topical. And again, it does apply to this episode as far as the cast, but keep Roger's name out of your fucking mouth. Who Framed Roger Rabbit is a great movie. Do not compare it to this kind of thing. Be sure to check out our episode on Who Framed Roger Rabbit. I have been wanting to talk about this eyelash scene for like, I, I couldn't get over it for um, two, two like big reasons. And this is just like, definitely the people who wrote this have like never put on fake eyelashes. Um, <laughs> why a 10 year old would have um, fake eyelashes on a hiking trip and you would give it to somebody. Uh-uh. That's not how it happens. And it's the bottom eyelash. Bottom eyelashes don't come in a strip. That's so wrong. Could you imagine putting a strip of eyelashes underneath your eye? Fuck no. <laughs> if you're going to do that, which like, like most people don't, you get the individual lashes to put there. I don't know why that bothered me so much, but it did. Because the scene is like weirdly shoehorned into the movie. You know, it's like maybe introduce the eyelash at the beginning, like a Chekhov's eyelash or something. And like really surround <laughs> this eyelash with meaning. You know, if it's really going to come down to this fake eyelash, why not build a scene really around it? But you are an hour and 10 to 12 minutes into this movie. And you have these two girls just bopping on a school bus on the way to a hike. And suddenly this girl's like giggling. She's like, here, you want an eyelash? And you're like, okay, I guess the scene is about her finally making friends because she had no friends at school. You're like, okay, I guess this is cute. This is the purpose of this scene. And then it turns out the entire movie is hinging on this eyelash, not only being fake, but falling off. And already, Sam, you've identified some huge <laughs> uh, plot holes and inconsistencies, even surrounding the most important element of the entire movie, a fake eyelash. And also, when they show them putting on the fake eyelash, it's nowhere near her eyelashes. And like, I know that like, obviously you can fix that, but I'm sorry if a child who can't put on an eyelash try to put eyelashes on the bottom. It's just, it's not going to happen. Okay. It's not. I think what it's so contrived and it really robs like agency away from the characters of where it's this eyelash ex machina that really ends up saving Frank. Uh, because they got the hypothalamus gland or whatever inside the bracelet. And that's how Thrax, you know, wants to rise his body temperature to fry him from the inside, which is like kind of cool. But then it's like, it's so hard having a movie with two protagonists. If you're going for like a pretty straightforward kids kind of movie, like it's tough to write two protagonists. It's tough to write one protagonist. And so to remove agency from Frank, who really, I guess, doesn't have agency in the whole movie, but we're supposed to care about him like a main character to then just have save the day because they fight on top of an eyelash just really just sucks. It's just a shitty ending. Oh my God. And like the doctors, he's like, bed <laughs> and his temperature drop. put him on ice put him on ice <laughs> his temperature just slowly goes back down because one white blood cell hopped back into his body and the doctor's like whoo that was a close call if i was a doctor on that scene i'd be like what just happened to this human being and like how can we use this to advance science? Because clearly something that has never happened before happened on our operating table. Well, as far as uh, it just being one individual white blood cell, it's not that Ozzy goes back. It's that he goes back with the hypothalamus thing. Oh, the friggin' necklace. Okay. Although well, still from the opposite perspective, that's got to be very confusing as a doctor to prove your point. Yeah. Just happened. Yeah. Okay. Not only, right. Not only one white blood cell, but the hypothalamus gland also had to literally hop back in his body. Once again, it's a kid's movie and I don't know why I'm 
critiquing it as if it's some sort of instructional science video, which I guess from the get-go, I was like, I liked this movie because it was an instructional science video. But the, I mean, the doc, yeah, I don't know. It's just another of the big flaws of this movie, right? Is like that if you are going to be the uh, exhausted or perhaps hungover bio teacher that is going to pop this on during a, during a day when you've forgotten your lesson plan or just don't give a shit. This movie is a terrible introduction to biochemistry and, uh, you know, biology on the whole outside of how farts are created for the most part. By pressing a button in the butt. Right, that, that's how farts are made. Well, I think we're kind of wrapping up our discussion. At the end of the day, Frank is saved by one way blood cell falling back into his mouth after he sneezes into his daughter's eye. So uh, body moisture for the win. (laughs) And uh, he learns to hike and he eats a carrot and the movie ends. Is more or less. Oh, and Ozzy saves the day and Drix decides to stay. And I thought that was a moment. God, I mean, I don't want to get like much deeper into this movie, but I thought they were going to, they tried to set up a like time, like a, 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 to, a ticking clock element with Drex. He has 12 hours and then he just like, he, he has to die. But then they just like ignore that at the end of the movie because he just pulls a piece of paper off of his armor, off of his like mech suit or whatever it is. Uh, he's been miraculous. Frank has been miraculously cured. I guess it doesn't seem to matter whether or not he can digest, uh, you know, uh, pills that are meant to uh, dissolve in the body. <laughs> Well, any final thoughts on Osmosis Jones, a movie we'll hopefully forget all about uh, in approximately five minutes? I can't wait to allow my brain to delete everything that it saw. I will say it does personify how mucus works pretty well, where pollen enters and your nose shoots mucus at the dust coming in because it's a contaminant. That's kind of how it works. It's like the one nice thing I have to say. Um, I suppose I'd say really quickly that, um, yeah, the sense of color, we've discussed that earlier as far as the animation. Uh, I think you got a lot of really nice reds and blues here, which complement each other really well, um, you know, obviously. But everything else that is just uh, brown because of the the specific parts of the body we're dealing with are pretty gross. So some of the animation is pretty sharp. I think, like, all the stuff with, like, cars moving, like, anything that isn't, like, paying specific attention to, like, a character, but more the world, aside from the litany of assholes uh does make for some pretty interesting images but yeah i guess it's a hard, a hard movie to digest if you'll allow the pun. oh dave no well i've got one final question for everybody and that is what part of frank's body would you want to live in I'm there's no buzzfeed quiz for this so i had to make it up myself i'm living in the zit club with kidney <laughs> rock uh, oh fuck that's right kidney don't- Rock. Don't forget Kidney Rock. I'm in that club every day. That's my place. Oh boy, that's a lot of Kid Rock. <laughs> uh, Christine, I think you broke Dave. I gotta. I, I. I'm. I'm setting up camp on a skin cell. I'm trying to get away from this thing as fast as I can. Even if I'm just shed and become dust, I get. A, I gotta get out of the city of Frank and just decay somewhere because this is too disgusting for me to handle. Yeah, Dave, that's literally my answer. I was like, I'd rather die than be in this man's body. I don't even want to be in my own body. So like, I I just, (laughs) give me death. Yeah, I would say the mouth also equally achieves that. He's a man who doesn't get a lot of sleep as we learn. So he yawns a lot and sneezes a lot. So I think projectile my way out to hopefully find some other kinder body. Although he does start taking care of himself at the end. Who knows the future of uh, the city of Frank, uh, as far as a character's guts being a surrounding, might get better. <laughs> or he'll get hit by a bus and die, and all the cells die with him as oh, life sometimes happens. Fuck, they, oh, wow, <laughs> they pull a uh, Meet Joe Black at the end of the movie. You know, if everybody, you know, the people who went along with Thrax, if you wanted to kill the body, weren't they killing themselves? Did nobody think about that? I don't know. That's a whole, that's a question to leave the audience on, I think. Well, that was Osmosis Jones. Thanks for sticking with us. Uh, Let us know if you've seen this movie and also let us know what movies you potentially dragged your parents, loved ones, or friends to see either in theaters or even at home. Uh, You can reach us at butterwiththatpodcast at gmail.com and on our socials on Facebook and Twitter, uh, Facebook and Instagram at butterwiththat, Twitter butterwiththat1. And once again, we're really thrilled to be a part of the Movie John podcast network family and 
check out their socials and all the other wonderful shows that you can digest over there to steal Dave's fun. Quite a, a, a rollicking episode next week with a direct connection to the Oscar slap and Chris Rock. So we can't wait to see you next week and to talk about all things you know who. Have a good whatever. This has been a Movie John podcast.